Hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians made possible by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Good morning everyone, I am Brendan Telfer. This week on the program, the Bayes Hospital here in Mornington has hosted a health and well-being lecture. We eavesdrop on the night, joining Bayes CEO Eleanor Allen and keynote speaker and commissioner for senior Victorians, Jared Mansour. And we also this week take a walk around the charming Morven Manor ahead of their big open day on October 11th and 12th. Our friends at Australian Unity reckon that they've got something to be proud of and they want to show it off. But first though we cross to the New Peninsula Community Theatre here in Mornington which last week was the venue for the Base Hospital Community Forum Series Maintaining Quality of Life. CEO Eleanor Allen introduced the night and keynote speaker Jared Mansour, Commissioner for Senior Victorians. So a little bit about me. Um, my role as Commissioner for Senior Victorians was appointed by the State Government some six years ago and I've just been reappointed for um, a further four-year term and my role is a pretty straightforward one. When my friends say to me, so what do you do? You know, what's a Commissioner do? Uh, and the reality is my job is to give everybody who's over the age of 60 a voice. And it's the real significant implication of our ageing of our population to making sure that as we age, we don't become invisible and that government, business, government departments, organisations all hear the voices of older people. And I spend most of my time, or a fair balance of my time, out with groups of seniors, uh, people like yourselves, and I travel all around Victoria to do that. And then from time to time, I have particularly important tasks that I, the government asked me to undertake, and I'm doing one of those at the moment, and I'm going to share with you some of my learnings from that. Another part of my work, and I'm just going to touch on very briefly today, is around elder abuse prevention. And so uh, an important part of the ageing process is to make sure that, as far as possible, we protect ourselves from the risks and the threats of elder abuse. So I'd like to start by acknowledging the great work of the Bays and Mornington Shire Council, Eleanor Allen, um, my good friend Carol Allen's here, um, Dr Vikram Bala, uh, just one tip, I'd like to add one thing to your where do you remember the keys? Uh, my daughter-in-law's got a great way of doing it. Her daughter, my granddaughter's four, she tells her where the keys are. So that's, <laughs> that's something you can add to that list. Uh, Dr Natasha Aylan, who'll talk a little bit later, uh, Councillor Antonella Celli and all the great work that, um, that the council does, Councillor Frank Martin. I was just looking at your Seniors Festival brochure. I hope you take one of those home. There's a lot of fantastic things that are on during the Seniors Festival. Um, and I'd also to like to acknowledge Jeanette Lane that's here um, tonight, so that Jeanette's part of the Victorian Government's Victor Survivors Advisory Council, uh, but also on the elder abuse um, and prevention and safeguarding uh, advisory group. So you've got a direct voice out of your own community into some of the important considerations. And thank you, Jeanette, for all your generous, kind work. I'd like to start my conversation and my presentation is about ageing well and, and what does ageing well mean by just reflecting on what the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare can tell us. And what it says is most people, if they're lucky to live long enough, is going to progress through three fundamental phases. And the first of those phases starts at around about age 60. And it's a phase where people, you know, maybe thinking about working longer, starting to think about retirement, maybe a bit of travel, doing things that have been on their list, their bucket list for, for many years. And 
because of the nature of the ageing of the population, many of us getting much better at managing health conditions, the medical advancements, uh, our own understanding and technological advancements, we can look forward on average, as if we look over the horizon, 10, 12, 15 years, where people from the age of 60 are going to be very active citizens in our community. So the, when people talk about the ageing of the population, one of the features of that is that period of wellness, the period of time where we've got to do all the things we want to do in life, is growing over time. If you look back over the last 20 years, you'll see that that period of time is actually expanding. The second phase goes for about six to seven years. So the first phase on average takes, according to the data, to about age 75. And there's a period then of about six to seven years where people are starting to live with multiple health conditions. They're starting to live with maybe some mobility challenges. There might be some hearing loss. There could be complex diabetes, heart condition issues. But what's happening in this period of time is we're learning how to manage those in a more effective way. It might be a diagnosis of cancer, having cancer treatment, and then being a survivor of cancer. And so in that second phase of life, people are looking and becoming much more active citizens in our community. And I don't think there's any better evidence of that than the walker frame. Cast your mind back 20 years. Somebody that had mobility challenges wanted to maybe go down to the local shop buy a few things, have the ability to stop on the way and come back in, a, you know, in an orderly fashion when you're relying on a walking stick, very significant challenge. And so we've had the invention of the walker frame, which releases people to be much more active in the community. And we see that, don't we? We see it in shopping centres around our communities. And so what we've got over the horizon as we look forward is a period of, for many people, at least 20 years from age 60, where we can plan for very active involvement uh, in our community. And the final phase is a phase on average around about three to five years of higher frailty and I'm sure it's what our community thinks of when they hear the word elderly. Although I must say a few weeks ago I did get a shock. Um, I haven't hit that 65 age point yet myself but I read an article that said an elderly person aged 65 and I thought <laughs> you should come and talk to some of the people that I live with because they say they're the young ones, the people aged 65. Uh, so at the moment, one of the important things that our state government and our state government department are doing is looking over the horizon. A lot of my work is less about today, it's more about the world that we're moving into. What does ageing well mean in our Victorian community? And there are a few things that we're doing and the department's doing. Part of it's looking at the international literature, looking at the evidence, bringing together a policy framework. My job? My job is to bring the voices of older people to the table and I've just finished a consultation phase across um, a targeted approach that has allowed me to touch 28 different council areas across Victoria um, and talk to some many hundreds of older people in, um, in small discussion groups and I'm going to share with you some of my learnings about that uh, that are more from an individual perspective. Obviously, if you think about it from an ageing well framework, there's, a, there's at least four levels that I'm going to build. Today, I'm only going to share with you one of those levels, which is more the individual side of it. And so in my advice to government, I'll talk about what is it that we need to do as individuals. I'll talk about what has happened, needs to happen at a community level, the community that wraps around us, what needs to happen at the organisational level and what needs to happen at the society level. And so a long-term framework will have all those elements and I'm just going to give you some insights into some of those today, tonight. And so one of the things that's very clear to me is that 
the difference between a good positive ageing experience, having had a chance to listen in some detail to people, part of it's about our mindset. Part of it's about a mindset and the right, what I call the right mindset, and it's one of balance. And it's a balance between a willingness to continue to innovate and explore new things and try things that are different. And at the same time, the ability to acknowledge that our time is going to come where we need some assistance and we need to respond to that in a timely manner. I don't know if you've had um, a conversation and it happens to me often uh, after I've given a presentation, some people will come and share their stories. And one of my observations is there's often a gap and the gap can be one, two, three, four years between when the friends of somebody think to themselves, she or he has got to the point where they need a bit of assistance and some two or three or four years later, they'll acknowledge, oh, actually, I might need a bit of assistance. And so I think part of the right mindset is acknowledging that balance between innovation, exploration, doing the things that inspire us, but also having a mind that our time is going to come if we're lucky to live long enough, talking about those phases, where it's about being open to support, where it's been open to assistance in some way um, and starting conversations with friends, children are great mirrors often to us, um, but being open to the fact that that time might come for us. A second element that is so central to well-being for anybody, and there's very clear international evidence on this, and I've had it certainly validated in my conversations, is the importance of having meaning, purpose and fulfilment in our life. And I think one of the real challenges for us as we move through that journey of ageing is our world can change around us. The things that inspire us as a 60-year-old or a 55-year-old involved in the workforce, doing a particular professional role, having a certain role in the family, they can change substantially as we move and progress through that journey. And so what is it that allows us to stay in touch with that fundamental thing about our own drivers as an individual? And so for some people it's commitments to environment, for some people it's spirituality. I can remember when I was doing a report a few years ago about isolation and loneliness of older people, I can remember a professional man aged 69 said to me that his drift into isolation and loneliness and his drift into loss of confidence came from when the role that, the role that he had in his own family changed. That was so fundamental to his identity. And he said, now my children tell me what to do. And he hadn't come to terms at that particular point with the challenge that many of us have about what's our meaning and purpose give us fulfilment as we move through those seniors' years. Another very strong element of the conversations in every one of the, the places that I went very recently was the real significant importance of giving and receiving respect. It's a really important part of ageing. And often people talk about it with me in the context of what they don't feel. They don't feel that they're visible. One lady shared a wonderful story. She had often, um, uh, some of the most common stories on this trip happened to be my, my women in retail shops, interestingly. That's just one of my observations. And this particular lady said, I've worked out a strategy to solve the problem. I've waved a $50 note and suddenly I become uninvisible again. So, <laughs> but I heard many stories where people felt that they were in a place, in a location where the people around them just didn't see them, observe or notice them. And so this real sense that our community, this is one of the society challenges we've got, it's how did our society come to terms with the fact that if we are lucky enough to live long enough, we'll actually age. Uh, and that how does our community come to terms with that, that people who are older still have something very enormously significant to contribute to our community. 
and the sense that I have very often from older people, there's a sense that the further we progress through that journey, the more invisible that, that people often feel. And so the sense of giving and receiving respect, remaining visible, talking out, being advocates, having views about something that's important and being willing to pick up the phone and ring talkback, having a strong view about something and going talking to Antonella or Martin, having a strong view about something and write a letter to, to the editor. And so that we don't allow ourselves as individual to accept the mantle of a group or a population cohort that's going to become invisible. The next part of, uh, uh, part of the individual is the collective nature of us as a, as a species and the absolute critical importance of social connections. Having friendships, relationships and so many opportunities in so many rural communities and whether it's organisations like PACE, whether it's the University of the Third Age, Men's Sheds, uh, information sessions like this from the Bays. But in so many ways, remaining connected is a critical part to an effective and a healthy and a well-being from an ageing point of view. An interesting one that I haven't people, have heard people talk about quite so clearly to me as they did in this particular um, set of conversations is the sense of keeping up with our changing world. An acknowledgement that our world is going through a period of change and this is often a feature that people who don't feel able to embrace the, the technology uh, don't feel confident on social media, aren't able to use Facebook pages. A sense that they're sort of being left behind in some way. A feeling that uh, a real spirit of ageing well is feeling that we're part of and connected with the changing world that, uh, that we're in. And one of those old sayings is, nothing more certain than change. And so acknowledging that that's going to happen during the journey of ageing and how do we remain connected with the changing world that we're in? How can we, like um, one of my forums recently, not this one, but in a recent one where I had two 82-year-old um, women that, that stood up, came from other countries and said that five years ago they felt totally and utterly disconnected from the digital world and they have got grandchildren now living in Turkey and they wanted to be able to communicate effectively with them. And one of their other grandchildren taught them how to set up their own Facebook page. And so every day they shared the story with other people in the room. But for me, the really important thing was, here's two people aged 82 that didn't believe they had the capacity to connect with social media, who were prepared to, you know, take some effort and time and learn. And so that sense of discovery, they were able to actually break through the technological barrier. And I think that's one of the things that goes back to the first point. Are we artificially going to set our souls goals that are too low? where we don't, we're not open to innovation and suggestions and changes because somehow we put ourselves and pigeonhole ourselves. So the sense of keeping up with our changing world was a really strong message of what's part of the journey of ageing well. And then there's a whole group of a category of what I'd call the basics. The ones that I focused on today are what I'd call the more individual elements of what's an effective ageing and, and a positive ageing experience. And there's the whole basic things that are so central having an appropriate level of health and responding to our health conditions. Increasingly an acknowledgement of the critical role of mental health. Um, then there's the absolutely vital important role of having access to services in a timely manner. 
And I think that's one of the real challenges that became so clear to me on this journey. As so many older people over the last couple of years, the consequence of the Four Corners programs, the focus on aged care centres, I hear far too often from my point of view an absolute lack of confidence in the services that the aged care sector provides. And of course, any, any sort of failure is tragic and there's no excuse for the failure that occurred. But what I know and what I see, and I visit many aged care services here across Victoria, is there's an enormous disconnect with the average person's perception of the quality of what happens in aged care and what actually occurs. And I think unless that's addressed head on by our community, what's gonna to continue to happen is the stories I now hear, where people are saying to me things like, well, Jared, I'm not gonna actually put my name onto a list to get community services. And I say, well, why, why would that be the case? And they say, oh, well, I think one day might, what might happen is that someone against my wishes eventually puts me in an aged care home. And I think that, that is a, an enormously negative situation for us to be in because we do know that one of the most critical things about an effective journey of ageing well is being open to the fact that our time for support may come and being open to the fact that we need support and assistance. And for many of us, the ability to rely on family and friendship networks is not gonna be the sole solution. For many people, that's an enormous positive and they can rely on trusted friends and family, but not everybody can. And so, you know, I think that there's enormously positive work done in our aged care system right across Victoria. And hopefully the, the work of the Aged Care Royal Commission will allow us to start to rebuild the confidence in the importance of, of that system. And then the final group of services are, I think, the things that many of us see as central to any part of life. They're things like being in the right house as we age. And if people are thinking of moving, and I meet many people on my journey across Victoria who retire and move into a rural community. Many of you may have done that on the Mornington Peninsula here, may have retired and moved down to an area like this. And I think one of the observations that I've got is that we've got to help give better guidance to people about how to choose the right area. What are the attributes if you're going to move into a rural community? Things like transport, things like access to health services. And so as people in the future are thinking about which type of community to go into, we can give them some clear guidance about what are the central attributes of effective age-friendly communities as we go through the period of ageing. And clearly transport and mobility are clear. Um, the two other things that came through in a, in a sort of a, a stronger way than I've heard before, but I think it's a sense of, of what's happening in our community, the ability to live with higher levels of frailty in our own home, but still have a high quality of life. I'm hearing much more conversation now about um, whilst there are enormous waiting lists for home care services that in time hopefully have to be addressed by the Commonwealth, I think more and more people in our Victorian community are getting the benefit now of receiving some home care services. And I think we're now at the point where we can ask ourselves a question of how we make sure that those people don't just have a basic quality of life, but how you can remain in your own home, receive services and receive a high quality of life. And it's a bit like, from my way of thinking, the difference of having a walking stick and a walker frame. And so I think the sense of acknowledging that in the future, a lot of the treatment of dementia and early, earlier dementia will actually be in the home environment. And with technological advancement, medical advancements, the ability to have good, strong social networks, we'll be able to give a high quality of life to those people. Noting, of course, and this is the central part of any aged care system, that people don't have fear that if the time comes where remaining in the home is no longer a safe place, that we've got a strong, robust, effective aged care system that's there for us when we need it. 
And so they were some of the key things I learnt from my recent journey and you're the first group I've had a chance to share that with. I've just finished my first run of consultation this week and um, what I put in the document won't have all the same sense of language that I've, that I've had there. I'll have a chance to sort of reflect on that. But there's some of my key learnings that if we ask ourselves two people on the same journey, like that superannuation ad, um, what, what gives one person, you know, with all other things being equal, what gives one person a more positive experience of ageing than the other? It goes to the heart of the sorts of things that I've talked about. It goes to the heart of the mindset that people have had. It goes to a mindset about having and discovering a, a willingness to be open to changes in meaning and purpose in life and what inspires us and gives us fulfilment. About giving and receiving respect and not allowing ourselves to become invisible as we age. The critical importance of maintaining social connections. Reality that if we live long enough, the world's going to change. And how do we keep up with the changes? In our, and that's often characterised at a very local level. Changes in the people who live next door. Changes in our family access. Changes in the people that we deal with, interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. And then there's the critically important of our health service system, access to mental health support and services, um, housing, transport, mobility, and I think the, the issue of uh, higher levels of frailty. And the final comment I make is one that uh, won't feature enormously in my report because there's, there's not a lot as a commissioner reporting to a state government that I can do on this one, but the whole critical importance of people having appropriate financial resources. The level of the pension, level of superannuation funds, of course, are very critical issues that the Commonwealth Government must deal with over time. And so that's a quick sense of some of uh, the things that I'll be feeding into the Victorian Government as we work towards building an ageing wealth framework. And I'd like to make two quick advertisements um, before I finish and we have time for questions. And the first is that on your, on your chairs there, there's a little brochure, a little newsletter that I've just put out. Um, and the, the work that I've just done in those consultations is to give me a high quality sense of discussion and clarity about what does ageing well mean to people. But I want to supplement that through survey data and we've put together a survey that we know many of the questions have now been validated and you'll see on the first page there's a reference to a survey that's now on seniors online and you can go to that website fill in the survey uh, we say there it takes about five minutes i can say we were wrong uh, it actually takes about seven minutes we know from the data so if you've got a spare seven minutes i know not everybody here will have technological capacity and so I ask some of you that do have those skills, and many of you will, to assist someone that doesn't, so that everybody in the room gets an opportunity to fill in the survey and give me your views about what ageing well means for you as an individual. So that's my, my first advertisement. And the second is to leave you with a thought. Part of the work I said I, that I do very early on is about as an ambassador for elder abuse prevention. And I won't go through a whole series of different talks that I do on that regard. But one of the things that I have learnt is that one of the differences between the people who are vulnerable to the risk of elder abuse and the people who are not as vulnerable is having the right trusted people in our lives as we age. And through many of the sessions that I do with older people, I often heard that people wanted to be able to appoint a power of attorney but didn't have the funds or ability to be able to go and see lawyers to do that. And so I was very keen that we put together an appropriate set of self-help resources that allow people, if you do have powers of attorney in place, to, to consider what powers that those people have, but more importantly, have you got the right trusted person for you in your life? 
And so there are two resources that I've asked you to ha have an opportunity to take away tonight. One is called Your Voice, Trust Your Choice. And this booklet was created with groups of Victorian seniors. There were 12 different consultation groups and we asked seniors a very simple question. What are the issues that you would like to be able to deal with when you think about appointing a power of attorney? And one of the first things they said to us, we want some sample clauses. We want to be able to say that if we want to achieve certain things, what sort of clauses we can put in. And we want some guidance on what sort of powers and we want some guidance about who we should appoint. And the booklet here seeks to achieve that. The second is a booklet called Take Control, so that if people can't afford to go to a lawyer or don't want to, there's a booklet there that's got the sample clauses in there for you to take away and to take home. So thank you very much for listening to me this evening and having a chance to, um, to sh share in some of my findings about what it means to age well, but importantly, to do your homework. To When you go home tonight or before the 20th of September, please take time to fill in my Ageing Well survey. Thank you. Judd Mansour, Commissioner for Senior Victorians at the Bayes Hospital Special Evening, Maintaining Quality of Life, part of their Community Forum series. And uh, we would like to take this opportunity to thank our friends at the Bayes Hospital for their hospitality on the night. You're tuned up to the Age Stage, a program that we're designed here at RPPFM to address the issues of older Australians. When we come back, Australian Unity are opening up their delightful venue uh, that's over at Morven Manor and there's going to be a big open day there in early October. We'll find out more right after this. This is the people and the sounds of the peninsula, RPPFM. Looking for in-home care? Try Aftercare, where in-home personal carers helping people all over the southeast of Melbourne maintain their independence while still living in the luxury of their own home. If you're currently receiving services that aren't tailored to your individual needs, talk to Aftercare. We guarantee satisfaction. So let our family help your family. Call Aftercare now, 1300 46 46 63 or head to after-care.com.au. A station sponsor. The Peninsula Grange Retirement Community and Australian Unity extend you an invitation to view our beautiful appointed lifestyle apartments in glorious Mornington. Our apartments come with the finest amenities and the very best in lifestyle choices. Contact us today by searching Peninsula Grange Community, a station sponsor. Hi, this is Sigrid Thornton speaking. I love listening to the radio and when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPP FM. This is the Age Stage on RPPFM. Great to have your company, Brendan Telfer, coming to you this Thursday morning, usually from the Bendigo Bank Studio, but today something different. We've headed out. We're down at Tantai Avenue. We're at Morven Manor. Australian Unity have got a very big open day coming up, and they're going to invite you to come on down and have a look at this fantastic facility. It's absolutely beautiful. To tell us a little bit more about it, Cathy Van Roosmolen is here. Cathy will be oversighting and looking after you, I'm sure, on the day. Good morning, Cathy. Good morning. What a wonderful facility. And here we are speaking in this beautiful old heritage room of this magnificent facility that you've got here in Tantai Avenue. Thank you. How long has Australian Unity been here? Australian Unity has managed Morven Manor for about 10 years. It is, of course, a heritage-listed building, or elements of it are. Correct. So we're talking here now, adjacent to this large meeting room, and uh, we're just about to step out into this wonderful garden. 
Thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about this. You have the large meeting room. You've got a billiards room here as well. Of so all sorts of the facilities are just fantastic. We have um, billiards room. We have a Morven Manor lounge where we have um, movies and bowls held in that area. We also have a hairdressing salon and a consulting room where we can have doctors and um, podiatrists coming to um, have a look at residents. So you have this magnificent heritage listed building here um, which is basically what the sort of epicenter, the centre of the facility here with the residences scattered around the facility here in Tantai. Correct. And you have, uh, what is it, 86 residences I think? I have 86 units on site. And do you have a number for sale at the moment? I have about 12 units for sale. So if I was interested, I come up here on your big open day, let uh, you know that I'm interested, and you're going to show me a range of facilities. What sort of facilities are you going to show me? I'll show you through the community centre so you can have a look at the beautiful heritage um, overlays that we have. I'll take you through the beautiful gardens and then take you through the lovely units to see what they look like and what suits you. Fantastic. Now, you've been here for roughly 10 years, Australian Unity. Mm -hmm. um, going from strength to strength, I'm looking now over this beautiful garden. I can see lemon trees in the distance as we walk through this beautiful sunroom. And the doors slide open and now we're outside just walking through these wonderful gardens gardens. It's a beautiful facility you have here and in the background you might just be able to hear the trickle of water from this lovely waterfall. Uh, you can hear the birds chirping in the background. The lemon trees are here as well. And Kathy, you're telling me I can help myself on the way out. <laughs> Absolutely. We've got so many lemon trees and all the lemons are ready to be picked. So please help yourself to I'm, as many as you like. I'm going to keep you to that. The lemons are looking absolutely glorious. The residences are looking beautiful as well. Why don't we go for a little bit of a walk and maybe you can uh, take us down and uh, show us over maybe what, uh, what you've got on offer here, eh? Sure, I can do that for you. And so we've continued our walk around uh, the Australian Unity facility here at uh, the lovely uh, Morven Manor. We'll come down to one of the residences now, which Cathy, during open day, these uh, couple of days coming up uh, very, very soon, we'll be able to show you through. This is unit number 26. It's a two-bedroom unit, Cathy. Uh, it's got an absolutely wonderful outlook here, and it's just got a wonderful sort of country charm about it. Absolutely. We've got beautiful views over Tantai Creek with a lovely lush garden setting all around the unit as well. With bright big windows, it makes the area feel very light and airy. It's a two-bedroom unit. Correct. And it's coming in at roughly half a million dollars. We can't go too much into detail in prices here in community radio, but certainly around about that mark and, and a little lower as well from some other options as well. The thing I like it about it is, is this charm and just the, the vegetation, the gardens, this beautiful camellia bush just outside the window here. We've walked past the lemon trees. We're looking down here over Tantai Avenue and, and yet we're so close to Mornington as well. We're about 10 minutes easy stroll to Main Street. We're located near all the hospitals and all the consulting suites. We're um, a walking distance to the beach as well. We have public transport right at our doorstep. So we're in a very good position. So if you're feeling pretty independent as you end up in your sort of retirement phase, there are many, many options that you're offering. And I guess lots of in-house community stuff as well. Absolutely. Um, of course, Australian Unity, you had your big open day there the other day as well, the Grange facility, which is fabulous, very geometric, very modern, very beautiful. 
Um, but there's just an elegance about this place, uh, from your lovely wing-back chairs and your big meeting TV room to this sort of country ambience. I can't get over it. I'm just thinking it's just drop-dead gorgeous. It is absolutely stunning. And when visitors come past, they always mention how lovely and charming this facility is and how friendly the staff are and welcoming. Well, we know that for a fact, Kathy. <laughs> but also, the, the, the it's, just, it's the lovely chime and also the, the quietness of it as well. So here we are in unit number 26 overlooking Tantai here. And it is just so lovely and quiet and peaceful. It's just, it's, just, it's just got something really magic. I believe so as well. Cool. Are you <laughs> going to take me anywhere else to show me over your wonderful facility here? At Absolutely. Morgan? We can keep walking and I'll show you a few more areas of interest. Cool. Okay, so if you're just joining us for the first time today, you're tuned up to the H stage, which of course is our weekly program in which we look at issues and matters concerning all Australians. And our friends at Australian Unity have a big open day coming up. We're just walking outside of uh, 26 now, back out into a lovely little courtyard here. And they've got an open day coming up um, in early October, Cathy? Correct. Friday the 11th and Saturday the 12th of October are our open days. So if people want to come along, meet you, meet the staff, they just sort of rock up, they make appointments, what do they do? They just rock up. We'll have On Friday we'll have some information sessions running throughout the day. And then on Saturday we'll have a fashion show by Liz Davenport on the day. Wow, so what an invitation and what a bit of a bonus as well. Fashion's here at Morven Manor. Not only that, you get to meet some of the staff and uh, walk through these lovely grounds and uh, get to see uh, what could be a very interesting stage of uh, a retirement option for you. This is RPPFM, the 8th stage. We're going for a little bit of a walk. We'll be catching up with Cathy in just a moment once we've walked past these beautiful uh, camellias here um, as we walk our way around this uh, wonderful facility at Morven Manor. Well, once again now, we've uh, moved outside, we've moved away from the residences and we're looking down over this beautiful lush lawn towards Tantai Creek through this copse of beautiful gum trees. Cathy, this is just fantastic. It is absolutely glorious and the main reason residents choose this location. I can't believe that uh, here we are in Mornington. I never knew that this... Uh, you know, your facility here hid this little gem sitting out the back of you here running down to the creek. We're very, very lucky and we're very blessed to have it open up onto the creek and we have um, a good relationship with friends of Tantai Creek who also maintain the creek area and have created a walking path in this area as well. well as you can see, the walking path is being used. You can hear probably the birds in the background, this beautiful copse of, uh, what are they, silver gum trees here running down to Tantai Creek. Uh, and uh, a lovely uh, look of residences just splayed across the top of this uh, hillside here overlooking uh, this fantastic facility. The open day coming up uh, very, very soon, Cathy, and uh, people will be able to walk down here in the sunshine, get to a real sense and, and a feel for this beautiful place. Absolutely. So it'll be Friday the 11th of October and Saturday the 12th of October will be our open days. Well, let's uh, walk on some more and uh, just see what else, uh, what are the hidden surprises you've got for us down here at this uh, wonderful Australian Unity Morven Manor. Well, Cathy, this has just uh, been fantastic. Uh, we've come back now into your major meeting hall inside the uh, Morven Manor facility itself. And thank you very much indeed for your hospitality. It's been, uh, been eye-opening. 
You're very welcome, and you're welcome to come back at any time. Thank you very much indeed, Kathy. I just noticed as well that um, obviously there's a, there's a great feeling, great buzz, and, and animals as well. I noticed that a number of the residents seem to have their own pets and dogs. Absolutely. We're a pet-friendly village. We're obviously guided by Mornington Council. However, um, dogs and cats are welcome to come to the village. Wonderful. And you can come to the village because Morven Manor is throwing open its gates. You can meet Kathy and the crew down here. Once again, when is it all happening, Kathy? It's happening on Friday, the 11th of October and Saturday the 12th of October. Everyone's welcome to come and join the festivities. And thank you very much indeed to Cathy Van Roosmalen who of course was our generous host, client services manager at Morven Manor and uh, they do have their big open day coming up in October. Certainly hope that you can join them for that, October 11th and 12th. This is the age stage on RPPFM. When we come back, we're going to go back to the Bayes Hospital and get a very personal insight in some of the difficulties confronting us as we deal with parents that are getting a little bit older and a little bit infirm. Say, Eleanor Allen, as she introduces the next guest. Thank you, Gerard. That was uh, really good. Thank you to everyone who asked questions. Um, we uh, do have one more item on our uh, agenda for this evening, um, but I really would like to say again thank you to Gerard for coming tonight and for sharing with us your insights and your passion, um, which the Bay shares with you. So thank you again. Um, we have one more um, presenter tonight and it's a little bit of a surprise package tonight and a very um, personal um, presentation tonight by Dr Owen Tan. Many of you will know Orwin. Um, he is one of our very prominent urologists at the Bays, but tonight um, he's sharing a very personal story with us all, and I will let uh, Orwin take uh, the lead on this, but please welcome Orwin Tan. Hello. Evening, everyone. Um, I'm humbled to be standing among all of you, and I stand up here... I remember starting a group of 10 people who wanted to know about health and look at how big you guys are today. You should give all of you guys a clap for yourself. This would not have, been, have happened if the Bays didn't stand behind us. And I don't have a team like Amber, Sophie and the rest of the team who drive this. And with this, we have grown. And with this, Eleanor, we've given a gift back to the community and it's beautiful. And as the commissioner says, we're connecting people, we're forming groups. So when we first started having this program to talk about dementia, I did not intend to be a speaker. However, I have got a personal experience to share today because my father died of dementia on Monday. And I thought there were things that I learned that I should have done the things that I should have read your book five years ago that I should have done. And as a doctor, I thought that I knew everything. You know, Dad retired. He was a magistrate. He was a UN Peace Corps. He helps to save monkeys in Borneo. He helped to save turtles around the world. So he retired to Melbourne about five years ago with my mother. They live in a small apartment in the city. They go to Tai Chi down in Federation Square, and they live really well. Then I realized that things start to go wrong 
when dad called me one day and said, son, where am I? Where am I? And he's on his mobile phone. I go, dad, I'm actually operating at the base, but where are you? And I realized that he didn't know where he was. We gave the phone to the girl at the desk, which turns out to be Coles at Elizabeth Street, and I realized I have a problem. It was at that point in time that my father, that, that one of my patients, like listening, you guys just listen, a senior judge says, Alwyn, you have to get your power of attorney. Things may look good now, but when things get bad, that piece of paper is going to save you, save your, your father from things that he wants to be done. So I took that advice, got it signed off, and go, yeah. And then took that to the cognitive uh, place in the city, in Parkville, because he lived in the city. Otherwise, I'll send him to Vikram. And he was diagnosed with early dementia. So in the next few years, my mum, who's a staunch mother, said, I will look after him. And mum did. Dad was doing a few funny things around here. He was getting all the movements a bit wrong in Tai Chi, saying a few words here and there. Then you could see that he got very frustrated. He got very angry. He knew that he was losing his memory. He was losing his mentalities. And it was at that time that I sat down with him and go, Dad, you know, what happens if you really go? Do you want to be ashes or buried? I'm glad I approached this question now because after that time, I didn't have any more time. I wish I had your book that have all these things, that all the questions that he has to ask. I had to sit down there and make him answer every question because I have to make them as I go along. I was made the only power of attorney and the medical power of attorney too. And I had a brother and a, who's a surgeon and a sister as a lawyer. Both of them disinterested at that time. They said, it's your problem. They're living with you. You take care of them. We travel the world. We'll call you when there's an issue. So it all lumped on me. Things continued to chuck down until about four weeks ago. My mother calls me up. I'm operating at the base on a Friday night, and mum goes, I'm dying. I said, mum, what's happening? She says, well, I'm lying on the floor. It is dark and cold, and I can see bright lights. I go, wow, it's coming through. I said, mum, if you're dying, can I just come in in about an hour? I've just got to finish this case. So I drove up towards Melbourne, into the apartment. Sure enough... It was dark. My mum has taped, taped all the switches off because my father has been playing with the switches at night. I didn't know about this. And mum had fallen on the floor. Dad didn't know how to turn on the lights. It was cold. And dad had a little torchlight, which was flashing at mum. <laughs> and so was the flashlight. And it dawned on me that it was time to move. And, and suddenly everything starts going into full mo motion. I had, I had a conference in, in Germany a week after that. I started to pack up all their stuff, got the removalists on the weekend, moved everything down to Mornington and rented them a place in Tentai Avenue, overlooking Andrika. So that I said, Mum and Dad, if you get any worse, we're crossing the road. And I'm really happy because a year before that, another patient of mine who lives in Andrika says, Owen, you've got to put your dad and your mum on the waiting list. He actually bought a form in for me, and I'm glad I filled it in. I go, oh, yeah, I'll fill it in. So they were on the waiting list, another part of the things that the commissioner talks about. And within four weeks, I realized that I couldn't do it. I couldn't go and pick up my mum and dad every day off the floor. 
wash the carpets because dad has missed miss the toilet a bit, stop operating, going across Tentai Avenue, which is a street away. And so we moved them on that day. And that picture was the last picture of my mum and my dad crossing Tentai Avenue across the road into Andrika. A lot of us are scared of nursing home, but it's actually like a big party zone. And I was actually quite relieved because after that day, I don't have to pick them off the floor anymore. I just say, yeah, sure, pick them off the floor. And someone was looking after them all the time, keeping them stimulated all the time. No one could do that. You know, I'm, a, I'm trained at this, and mum and dad are sitting there playing games. Then one day, about two weeks ago, my mum decided to chuck a hissy fit. She decided she didn't want to look after my dad anymore. She locked herself in the room, and she didn't want to see him for two days. I suppose that's the beginning of a divorce sort of thing happening. And as the commissioners say, the carer get exhausted. My mum refused any help. She refused home help. She refused any help to come into the house. And you could see my mum was tired, angry. She was exhausted. It was time to do. We probably waited too long. But I had very strong parents. You know, they are lawyers. They tell me what to do. I'm still a little kid in their mind. And dad went and spiraled down. He then decided that mum was kidnapped. He went from rooms to rooms in Andrika, checking every rooms at night. And when people tried to stop him, he got violent. And that's when he got taken to the psych ward in Frankston. They sedate him. And it was heart-wrenching for me to see my father sedated. So someone who asked, what happens at the end of dementia? This is one story that I never knew what happened. And when the sedation came off, my dad was like a three-year-old. He shuffled on the floor, and we were playing catching worms from each other's hair. We, we, sang, we sang Amazing Grace out of tune. And for a short moment, last Saturday, he became awake, and he gave me three advice. That was my father on the floor like a little boy who an ex-magistrate, UN Peace Corps, men that tried to save the world. And he said, I want chips. So I ran out, got some chips in and gravy, and we sat there and we ate chips together. And he gave me three advice. Don't stick your finger up your nose. <laughs> Last time he told me that, I was six years old. <laughs> Two, work hard. You might be a doctor one day. I go, yeah, yeah, dad. And three, be nice to everyone. I go, yeah, yeah, dad, okay. <laughs> And it was the last thing he said to me. And after our little chips uh, party where everyone sat on the floor with him, he became unconscious again. Then we went to all the committees, including a palliative committee. And, and I, being the power of attorney, stood there and said, guys, he's getting so bad. We have to make some decision. We cannot let him just keep suffering like this. So I opened to you guys. If this was your father, how would you do it? It was then agreed after all the committees that they would run an infusion of medazolam, which is to keep him happy. A bit like Michael Jackson in his happy dreams. I like to think about that. And dad was drifting for days. Along came my brother, who has never turned up for five years. He walks in there as the surgeon and demanded all the treatment be reversed. He wanted TPN, he wanted nasogastric feed, he wanted to force feed my father. And it was the power of attorney that saved the story on that day. Because mm. when I produced that paper, he had no choice because they were going to call a code on him. 
So dad then chuggled along and he died on Monday. I'm, I'm very much at peace. I know everyone gets so worried that Alwyn's going to be talking tonight, whether he's going to cry on the stage or not. I'm very much at peace because I saw him age as he got along. Yeah? But my, my, my brother and all the siblings that you never thought would, would get into action start getting into action. So yesterday, when my funeral director went to pick up my dad's body for cremation, the body was missing. The hospital has released my dad's body to another different Dr. Tan. <laughs> he wanted to go around for a tour. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> and again, it was the power of attorney that saved him because my brother has organized something else and I've organized something else because I have power of attorney. I get to, play, I get to put my father's wishes out there. So I think the commissioner had a beautiful book. That book is so important to you guys, and I hope you guys take it home, read it, fill it up, and even if you don't act on it, at least this is the planning. And I wish I had that book five years ago because I didn't know anything about it. And I was, I've been to, to a lot of nursing, nursing home and aged care, and go and visit them. You know, they're a lot so much better than, than, than you think it is. And I think you should go involved and get involved a lot earlier. Perhaps my parents should have been in it three years ago and slowly transitioned into the place, you know. And my mum would have been burnt up today and, and, and hate my father as much as she did. And that's still ongoing, by the way. <laughs> and, and so that's my little experience for all of you. But I want to thank all of you. And I hope that you guys learn from my little experience and I thought, I hope that the commissioner, in providing you guys with so much information, that you guys can continue to go there. And Vikram, for you know, bringing all of you together, connecting you guys, and giving you lots of information. And the base for supporting such a beautiful thing, a gift to the community in terms of education and connection. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> Eleanor, I'll give it to you. Yes, poignant scenes there, and uh, the guest speaker there, Olwen Tan of the Bayes Hospital, just uh, being very forthright and very honest about a journey that he had with his father in the latter stages of his life. We would like to thank our friends at the Bayes Hospital for their hospitality in letting us come across and join them this week for that all-important uh, series of lectures. Also, we have to thank our friends at Australian Unity, and of course in particular Morven Manor, for their hospitality this week, and remind you again that Morven Manor, if you're interested, will be open on the 11th and the 12th of this month. Thank you very much indeed for your company this week. I'm Brendan Telfer, here courtesy of our friends of Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. We'll be back next week with more of